Hello and welcome to another episode of the Bikini Podcast. This is episode number 55 and today we're going to be answering questions, listener questions that have been submitted through Instagram. We're going to do it again and then I actually had a nice suggestion through the question box which was to bring some athletes on board for interviews and for the ladies out there that are listening, if you would like to hear from specific athletes, it doesn't matter if they're Australian, um, I will obviously ask them to come on board and we'll see if I can get an interview done and to start the process of, of, of getting ladies on regularly. So if there's anyone in particular that you'd like to hear from, let me know. I'll ask the question. I'll see if I can get it done. All right. So the first question that I have is the biggest mistake you see programming for bikini minus your hate for conventional deadlifts. All right. So I would have to say that I would say not a common understanding of how to program for a bikini athlete. I've seen a lot of programs where I'm just like, what is this? It's it's a rubbish routine. There's not a lot of exercises that I would recommend. But again, I obviously don't do things conventionally. If I did, I'd probably get conventional results. I'm obviously doing something different from what is considered the norm. And I believe that is the reason for the success of the team. I think that Bikini is something that is yet to be understood by at least the Australian market. And there is a reason why we have obviously fell behind the Americans and the, you know, anyone international on an international level because we aren't following what they're doing. Success leaves clues. And if you're not following the trend, if you're not reverse engineering what someone else is doing, if you're not learning from your mistakes, then obviously we're going to be in the same position. So I think the athletes in Australia have been restricted from a lack of understanding of training programming, from a lack of understanding of nutrition, on what exactly is the bikini look, and even understanding judging criteria. So if you're a coach and you might have some basic understanding of programming and nutrition, you can probably get good results in, let's say, a category like men's physique or even men's bodybuilding. Transitioning over to bikini is a completely different thing. There's a big difference between you know, having knowledge in and being an expert in bikini versus being an expert in men's physique, a men's physique expert being, you know, having a knowledge in bodybuilding, it's a different, it's really completely different. And understanding the criteria is very, very underrated. So I think coaches need to understand what exactly they're looking for. And in order for that to happen, coaches need to pay attention to what goes on in pro shows, particularly in bikini and obviously other categories, but we're talking about bikini here. And I was actually having a conversation with someone that I won't mention uh, just through Instagram DM. And I said, with coaches in Australia and with certain judges in Australia, I would say how many would actually be paying attention to shows overseas? And with the shows overseas, are they actually looking at photos and analyzing what is being rewarded? And I actually don't think that there's a great understanding of that, of what is rewarded, the level of conditioning, level of muscularity, if someone's too big and they need to downsize and the ability to make common sense adjustments and to be able to you know, change the way that you view things based on what's happening over in the States and making corrections so that the competitors here in Australia are going to kick ass. So how often does that happen? I would say it's very rarely for someone to be studying bikini in Australia. Again, that leads to why there's a lack of results. That leads to why there hasn't been Australians on the Olympia stage. And the closest that Australia has ever been to having a position or a spot on the Olympia stage was when we had an all-Australian pro show. So it pretty much guaranteed an Australian, an Olympia qualification, obviously, that was not, um, that didn't go forward. And we have yet to have a, our first ever bikini Olympian in Australia. I do think that's going to change in 2022. There's a lot of opportunity. There's a lot of good competitors. 
that are up and coming that I believe will do some big damage. So the next question here is, what is this, you know, the science behind peak week protocols? I just think that if you're looking good, why change a thing? You know, you obviously need to carb up. So that's the only variable that you would change. If someone's holding water, it's a little bit different. If they're flying, you know, it's a little bit different. But for the most part, I truly believe that it's important to keep things consistent. So if someone's looking full and hard and round and they're in really good condition, then why would you restrict water too much if the goal is to come in really full? But if you're looking to get in better condition, there's a few things that you can do. So look, it's it's not like there's a one-stop shop for everyone, but as a general rule, you know, keep water consistent, keep sodium consistent. And I mean, you could potentially lower sodium a little bit on the day. That's something that I sometimes implement depending on the person. And you could restrict water intake on the day. Sometimes you actually want to keep water in because it might keep ladies a bit full. Sometimes taking water out is not a good thing. But look, this is all individual. What I really recommend for any coaches that are listening to this, keep things consistent. Don't do anything drastic and try to collect as much information as possible and make a decision based on what you see that you've received through photos and check-ins from that specific athlete. I'm not going to go into detail about some of the things that I've seen because I've got to keep some things under wraps. And there also might be an opportunity that I could potentially be doing some mentoring in the future. It's something that I've really considered. And obviously I'm looking at doing some contest prep seminars, which I will obviously go into detail about some things and talk about some case studies, the good, the bad, some of the mistakes that I've made, as well as some of the really good decisions that I was very happy with. So I want to talk about both sides. And now before anyone messages me about this, this isn't something that I'm organizing right now. This is something that I will definitely do in the future, which uh, in which case I will be posting on Instagram to let everyone know that this will be going forward. But seminar, yes, in the future, and there will be an opportunity for some mentoring in, in terms of coaching, but there's gonna be some specifics around that. And it, it was interesting, actually, I was having a discussion, again, I, I have my discussions with people, and someone said to me, well, Troy, why would you give away, you know, some of the, you know, your little tricks and secrets, and, you know, like I have a specific eye and teaching someone, you know, some of the things that I seek, especially if they're, you know, competitive coach and they're working against me and they're going to, you know, they've got their own clients, they've got their own team, etc. And I said, listen, you know, one thing that I do have that other coaches don't have is passion. If they had the same passion to be studying what I study, which is every pro show, all the results, all the photos that have their own bikini podcast, they'd be talking about bikini competitors, they would have the same vision, that have the same goals as me or very similar. They don't. And that's why they're asking. And that's why they don't have the answers because they haven't put the work in. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with not being completely obsessed with something because I understand what it means to be, but there are levels to this game. And for me, if I can help out other coaches as well, it's, I think it's going to make the sport a lot better. I see a lot of protocols that are really stupid and I think that things can be better for all competitors. So for me, I don't find that I am really teaching the competition. It's more so I'm I view things with the, from the point of view or the position that I'm helping athletes not get fucked up because there are a lot of fucked up protocols. There's a lot of stupid things out there. And if someone ends up being a really good coach out of it and they're competing against me, that's cool. It's all better for the sport and it's all better for the athletes. But in all fairness, I'm not really concerned about that. All right. So the next question here is any preference for low, mid or high rep ranges of a bikini athlete training? So I don't know what low would mean. Um, if we're going to define low, I'm going to say it's less than six. 
uh, if we're going to say middle, I'm going to say it's probably seven to seven to ten or something, and then high rep could be eleven plus. So I would incorporate both middle and high rep ranges based on that logic. Sometimes I do really really high reps. Um, I think repetitions, you know, the the amount that don't matter so much. I think that it's all about form and execution, and I see that is a big big problem with competitors these days. They're not training correctly and. A big reason, a big part of that is that coaches aren't looking at their form, especially if they're online, they're not making changes. I've seen, without naming names, I've seen some bikini pros that still aren't training the right way. They're not even activating their back. And then you look at the back development and go, okay, that's how, obviously it makes sense because the coach doesn't have the attention to detail. And that's another thing as well. If your coach isn't able to adjust your posing and obviously majority of coaches do work closely with posing coaches, maybe not so closely, but you, you need to be posing at a high level. And if your coach isn't giving you advice on posing and it's leaving up to your posing coach, he or she probably doesn't know what they're doing. There's a big difference between having trust in a posing coach and actually not knowing and pretending to give trust to the posing coach. I've seen many coaches put sole responsibility on posing coaches and that's not how it is. I will actually really, uh, in the past, I've tried to trust the process with certain posing coaches uh, now I'm actually taking things on board and going, you know what, I need to be a little bit pickier with what I see and a bit harsher. And if there's things that I don't like, I actually tell the opposing coaches and say, hey, listen, we need to change this, this, and this because it's going to benefit the athlete. And that's the number one priority. All right. So the next question is all things ANOVA for female athletes, positive and negative effects. I would say that check out my first podcast, first two podcasts. I'll probably go into detail about that. I definitely don't want to make this a PD podcast right now. So the next question is, do you think there is anything that the IFB can do to help prevent potential deaths in the future? Uh, absolutely not. This, it's the athlete's sole responsibility to look after themselves. It's the athlete's sole responsibility to, you know, to get checkups. You know, what is a checkup going to do if you're, you know, on a performance enhancing drug program and, you know, you're a male bodybuilder. It's just like even, okay, guys, like, Carrying 120 or 130 kilos of weight around is not ideal for your heart, let alone adding performance enhancing drugs to that. You know, there's a lot of other variables that can come into play, but this sport isn't exactly healthy. And for the men as well, they're, they're, they're really heavily reliant on diuretics, which is really depleting them. Dieting down to that level of body fat at, the, at that heavy weight, it, it can't be good for you in the long run. So if the IFBB, for example, or any other organization, doesn't matter if the IFBB, if the WBFF, IFBB actually said, okay, this the organization is going to do something about it. We're going to make tests mandatory. What happens if the IFBB says, yes, you can compete and something happens? That The IFBB would be liable. So it would be absolutely stupid to for the IFBB to take control of that. I think there needs to be a release of liability from the IFBB. Athletes should sign a waiver saying, enter your own risk. That way the IFBB isn't liable and... Um, you know, that's just the reality of it. I mean, if I, if I was the, if I was running the IFB, it's exactly what I would do. I, I would, I know the risks. So does the athlete, if you're entering at your own risk, it's an untested federation. What is the next question here? Your opinion on the, on a reverse diet, is it necessary? It's absolutely necessary unless you want to look a blob, you know, it, people for whatever, I, I don't understand some bikini athletes are of the opinion that dieting is everything in a contest prep. Some ladies can diet for 12, 16, 20 weeks and really get after it. But then when it comes to reverse diet, they just quit and just get sloppy and get fat. What is the point of that? If you really want to be the best athlete you can be, and if you really want to just not even be the best athlete, if you really want to perform at a high level and feel good about yourself 
and not just enjoy the contest prep and of being lean and taking photos for the gram, but why not stay lean in the off season and enjoy your body without getting, you know, putting on 10 kilos in the first week post competition. There are a lot of competitors have done that. And I would say that they are mentally weak. It doesn't matter like, oh, my coach didn't support me. No, you're playing the victim. You didn't take responsibility. You chose to eat all that shit. It was no one else's decision, but you. And I'm going to say it like it is. You're mentally fucking weak. That's the way it is. That doesn't mean that you didn't learn from it because I've been there before, although I didn't gain 10 kilos in a week. I think with my first ever contest, I I think I gained like one and a half kilos in the first week and I thought I was a pig. I was like, wow, that is so fucking disgusting because I ate all this food that I you know, believed that I shouldn't have and I probably did splurge. But 1.5 kilos in, in context isn't really a bad thing considering I was in very, very good condition. But there are a lot of competitors that glorify binge eating post contest. And I think it's absolutely ridiculous that, you know, you have really high level amateur athletes and high level professional athletes that just post all this food that glorify binge eating post contest, because that is not healthy. It is absolutely okay to go out and enjoy a meal. It's absolutely okay to, you know, to try different things and have ice cream and whatever it might be. But just to be a fucking lard ass post competition and to make that the norm for up and young, up and coming competitors to to look at that and go, oh, that's what everyone does. That's you know that she won an Australian national title, or that's a IFBB bikini pro. If they can do it, I can do it. No, it's absolutely fucking retarded. It's something that I am completely against. Go out and enjoy a meal with family and friends. You might want to do a couple meals throughout the week after contest. That's absolutely fine. But you know, taking photos of everything and just putting it all on the gram. No. That is a that is a big, big fucking issue. It is not something that I recommend. It's not something that I encourage. I definitely encourage having some nice meals with family and friends and enjoying some things that you didn't have during the contest prep period, but putting on just ridiculous amounts of weight and excessive, excessive amounts of weight post-competition will do nothing but affect your mental health. It will do nothing but really just make it so much more challenging for your metabolism. You need to reverse diet. Like you need to take it seriously. If you, if you take your health seriously, and I know that a lot of you ladies do, you don't quit as soon as you finish a contest. You say, okay, job's not done. I'm reverse dieting. I'm putting myself in a position where I'm going to be lean. I'm going to be healthy in the off season. And I'm going to be, obviously be lean in the off season, but I'm going to enjoy my physique. I'm going to enjoy the, I'm, I'm going to enjoy staying in this type of condition because I put so much damn hard work in, in a contest prep period, I'm not going to just blow it in a week. I'm not going to blow it in two weeks and then make excuses and then have to diet back down. I've seen a lot of competitors that have made that mistake. They've gotten really good condition for contest. They've splurged, splurged, splurged for a week or two weeks or three weeks post comp, and they start dieting again to get the fat off. That is absolutely absurd. All right. So the next question here is, will you do some more motivational slash goal setting, getting after it podcast? They legit hype me up at the gym. Yes, I will do a podcast on dedication probably coming up next but um i also need to like a, like it's interesting i as much as i do like sharing the knowledge i do like to give my competitors the advantage of me talking to them through audio recordings especially if they're doing a contest prep that's part of my coaching experience like if you you know what i say to the ladies out there that are listening to this podcast that enjoy you know my motivational rants if you're in a contest prep or you're about to be in a contest and you want someone to light your shit on fire, and if you really want to take it seriously, send me a DM. Send me a DM, let's have a chat, and I will light a fire up your ass. The next, uh, so get Alex back on. Definitely my favorite episode, Love Her Mindset. So we've actually, I've actually had a few people that have mentioned that. So Alex, if you're listening, 
I'm definitely going to ask you to come on board uh, this podcast very soon. I need to do an episode with you, especially, um, you know, it's been a while, actually. I think the last time I had Alex on, I only had her on once, and it was after she won her pro card in 2020. And that was, um, you know, as soon as COVID hit. The next question is, what sort of athletes do you work the best with? Hmm. I would say that athletes that are just willing to get after it. It's like if you, if an athlete has a big goal and says, like, I want a pro card, if it's an ICN, if it's in WBFF, it's a, if it's in IFBB, regardless of the federation, the goal of, you know, earning a pro card, winning a pro card, that excites me. And I like to work with people who take the take the sport seriously or athletes or bikini girls. Sometimes I obviously work with, I've got some figure competitors. I also have some wellness competitors, but this is the bikini podcast. So I, I really enjoy working with athletes that want to take it to that next level. It's fun for me. That doesn't mean everyone's a killer. Believe me, if I was really transparent on this podcast, there's been many times where really good athletes have been vulnerable and they've been in a position where they needed to, to be lit, up, lit on fire, you know, to, to get lit and just to to really get motivated again, to start the process. Not everyone's a machine 24 seven. That's something that people don't understand. Like we're all human. We have our moments, but it's important to have discipline. It's important to have a good coach that's gonna support you. It's important to be open and honest and, and to have open communication. So for me, I really like open communication. And if someone doesn't like something, tell me, tell me exactly what's going down. Like, what don't you like? And that way we can sort out a solution. We can get you motivated. We can change a training program or whatever it might be. Next question here is, can you put on quality size in one to two years if you put in the work enough to be competitive? So this is from a natural competitor. And the answer is absolutely yes. I have a number of really, really high level, natural level, uh, natural competitors on the team that have put on really good size, you know, in a consistent off season, eating up calories, training hard, Yes, you'd be very, very surprised what you can do even in, even in a year, but a two-year period, ridiculous, absolutely. The next question here, okay, what the same person's asking me these questions. Can anyone turn pro in the IFB if they put in the work? Does genetics mean much? Not everyone can turn pro in the IFBB, absolutely not. You have to have the genetics, you have to have good shape, you have to have the right attitude, and putting in the work is subjective because putting in the work to someone you know, that thinks they're putting in the work is completely different to what I think is putting in the work. And I obviously know the difference when I see someone that's really getting after it. I know, I absolutely know the difference. There's a big, big difference in someone that's wanting to get a pro card versus someone that will be getting a fucking pro card. I, I see the difference. Talk versus action. All right. So, is IFB standard? Um, hold on, sorry. I think this is like, is the IFB standard getting better? In, um, in general, yes, absolutely. I was actually watching, because I had a, f- a couple clients compete recently in Europe, and I was looking at, um, although like I had, there was one live stream, and what was that? So I watched two, I watched the live stream, and that was the Romanian show. That was actually a very good show. The level of competition in that was really good. There was a show recently on Denmark this weekend, although I couldn't watch the live stream. Uh, there was lives, Instagram lives, uh, which don't show the quality. So I, I need to look at the photos, but the level of athletes that are, that are there in Europe is definitely improving. I was actually very pleasantly surprised. Australian, obviously, the Australian market's definitely improving. We haven't had the opportunity to showcase, like, like for example, my team hasn't had the opportunity to showcase their hard work because we have yet to be able to compete. Season B was cancelled and hopefully season A won't be. I, I sincerely think that season A will be going forward as normal. I don't think that it'll be cancelled. So 
the level of amateurs that are coming up in Australia exclusively is next level. Like, believe me, guys, we've got amateurs that look better than some of our pros and they will be going to the Olympia. I'm telling you, the new up and coming athletes um, that I can speak about from a personal experience that are on the team, they will turn pro. They will be Olympians. Believe me, they are next level. Oh, sorry. This is, um, not, so we've got one more question from the same person. So a lot of very average posing and a lack of good posing coaches. Yes, I think they're, this, and this was ICN posing. I think um, that there is not a, a lot of good ICN posing coaches. There aren't a lot of good IFBB posing coaches. There aren't a lot of good WBFF posing coaches. So yes, ICN, I think is probably uh, the worst of the three federations in terms of posing standard and posing coaches that are available. They're really good coaches in the IFBB, really just solely focused on IFBB and WBFF is the same thing. There's not much crossover. And the the really good IFBB coaches, should they decide to go into the ICN market, then you'll see a lot of you know really high level ICN competitors, um, oh, sorry, high level posing for the ICN competitors. Uh, like someone that comes to mind straight off that I'd really recommend for ICN posing would be um, one of my clients, so Catherine Kavanagh, she's in WA, she's been working with some, uh, she's really created a really good business over there in WA, helping ICN competitors pose. I strongly recommend her for anyone that's really wanting to go to the next level. She's a very, very good IFB poser. One of the best posers in the IFB, really clean transitions, really good footwork, um, really good understanding of the, the body. And now, how did Catherine get so good? Renee was the one who taught Catherine to pose. And Renee is a very, very high level IFB posing coach, obviously in Australia. So when you have someone like Renee who's teaching Catherine and then Catherine teaches her, you know, gained the foundation knowledge and then has then learned some things along the way herself and now is running a really successful business and focuses primarily on ICN competitors. Catherine's killing it over there. Highly recommend Catherine uh, for anyone that's listening for ICN. Uh, Taylor Smith is or Taylor, Taylor Madison, same, same on Instagram, is another is another uh, coach that I would recommend for ICN. She's only just started uh, working with ICN competitors just recently because this is something that I discussed with her. A, uh, the Literally the best IFB poser um, in, in the amateur ranks, hands down. And uh, now I said, hey, listen, there's a gap in the market in ICN. You should really teach some of these ICN competitors how to pose because they really don't know how to pose. They don't know how to walk and there's a lack of understanding of transitions. And that's because the level of posing ability or I suppose posing standard, it's not there because no one's really took it to that next level. So there's an opportunity there. Um, and they're like, they're two IFB, you know, really good IFB athletes that pose really well themselves that have taken their skills to go into another federation. But there's levels, you know, there's levels to this game. So I, I strongly recommend for anyone that's listening, you know, if you're in, if you want someone in WA, go to Catherine. If you're in Melbourne, Victoria, Taylor, both of these ladies do uh, posing online. So you can obviously send them a message. And if anyone's like, oh, what can you just repeat that? Send me a DM. I'll, I'll send you the IG if you don't know their IG. All right. So this is a cool question. Uh, and I do get a lot of mindset questions, right? but would love for you to discuss the mindset of successful people and winners. Okay, so I'm gonna say Alexandra, right? It's just easy to talk about Alex because there's been a lot of questions about Alex and she was the first competitor that came to mind. So what separates Alex from you know some of the other competitors? And I'm not saying that Alex is exclusively like this. I'm just using Alex as an example because this is the first person that came to mind. Alex 
um, to very little communication that we have actually on on, Inst- on on WhatsApp and Instagram. We're friendly. We do what we need to do. Um, when it comes time to check-ins, check-ins are done. If Alex has any questions, she'll ask me a question, gets the job done. She holds herself accountable. So this is, this is something that's very important. Winners hold themselves accountable. They don't rely on the coach. They don't play victim. If they really need something, they'll reach out and ask. If they want to learn something, they'll ask a question, but they just get the job done and execute. There is no fucking time for cheats. There is no time for bullshit. I don't need to tell them the pose. I don't need to tell them, hey, where's your check-in? They do everything that I've ever asked. Alex, for example, will just pose, 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 pose. She will <laughs> she will, she will do some crazy things um, like, like just... I won't go into into specifics, but I be, I'm pretty sure that Alex would have the planking record for the longest plank of any bikini competitor in, his, in human history. But um, there there are just levels to Alex's intensity. She gets the job done. She does the one percenters and she does the extras. So for someone out there that's un- wanting to understand the, like the mindset and the level of de- dedication for someone that is a successful bikini competitor or someone that wins is someone that's very determined. So Alex is very determined and she's hungry for it never says no to a challenge and just proves me wrong every time. When I've said to Alex, hey, listen, you know, I'm going to be real with you. We might not have time to get in shape for season for season A this year. I'll probably get Alex on and we'll have a discussion about it. But I said to her, I said, you know, we're 12 weeks out, the show gets announced. And I said, I don't, I don't know if we can make it, Alex. She was 14 and a half kilos over our predicted stage weight. So um, she lost, uh, 40, yeah, lost 14, yeah, lost 14 and a half kilos in prep. Um, and you know, came in, in, if you look at the season, a, the pro show, uh, Alex was probably, you know, in, in the, in the top four, she was in very, very good condition. You know, I think obviously Steph Carr probably had the best condition out of the ladies in the top four. Alex was a close second in the conditioning department, but Alex wasn't out of shape. She was in very, very good shape, had beautiful symmetry, proportion and flow. She got it done in a 12 week period, gave me a heart attack, but she pushed herself and just took no for an, didn't take no for an answer and just said fuck it I'm getting after it, but she just kept herself accountable, uh, you know asked me to push things when she needed to push things. Can we cut back calories here? I'm happy to deplete more. I didn't give a fuck about a high carb day. The works, you know. She wanted to do more. She wanted to do more cardio. She wanted to do more training. She wanted to do more posing. I, I really, I think winners are self motivated, and then it takes a coach um, to really help. You know, I suppose it, there were times where I needed to back things off with Alex because she was so insane like the, the the work ethic was there i'm like shit i need to i need to make sure that she's resting we need to have a day off here we need to have a high carb day we need to do whatever we need to do but winners just focus on winning and they don't give a fuck about anything else i can tell you that now if there's a big big difference between someone that is that that knows they're a winner and someone that wants to be a winner like alex definitely knows that she's a winner and you know i think that's what winners do they just completely believe in themselves and they are very they keep themselves accountable and they just listen to their coach. So that's what winners do. So the next question is a cool question. Well, an interesting one. How do you deal with clients that don't put in the work slash waste your time? So I I'm, I probably changed my approach recently. Um, a bit more recently, I've become, I have taken more, uh, more of a relaxed approach. And at the end of the day, if someone comes to me with a goal, you know, I'm obviously wanting to hold them accountable, but I'm not going to hold their hand and babysit them. I'm going to encourage them. I'm going to push them. I'm going to talk to them when they need to be spoken to. But if someone's not willing to put the work in there, they're letting themselves down. And it doesn't matter about letting me down. Like I look at it from the position that they're letting themselves down. You know, there's been there's been many times where I've like, you know, victim mentality, 
they won't get the job done. They'll try to blame the coach. It's the same thing. And like I said, winners focus on winning. The people that, you know, I suppose this question is directed to, if they're, if they're not putting in the work in, it's, if they're only letting themselves down. They're not, they're not necessarily disappointing me because I've learned to change my mindset and I don't have that opinion anymore. I'm also wanting to work with people that are willing to get after it. I don't care if you're 100 kilos, you want to get in shape and you want to take it fucking seriously, message me, let's go. But if you've got the best genetics in the world and you're just fucking around and you think that going through the motions is going to make it happen, I don't want to work with you. That's, I'd rather work with the, hun- the, the, the lady that's 100 kilos, you know, that's overweight, that's just ready to crush it, ready to be accountable, ready to listen and to, to get things done. I, I don't want the genetic freak that's lazy. That's not what I'm interested in. But at the same time, I, I would like to, I would find it challenging. I would like to work with a genetic freak at the same time that can be pushed because I would want, want to get the most out of people. And that's what I actually really like to do. So it's a double-edged sword. There's some times where I have a relaxed approach and there's some times where I'm like, you know what? I can really help this person. I can turn them around. You know, I know that their last coach had this result. I'm going to beat the last coach's performance. And every time that I've taken over someone, you know, particularly in Australia, I've done a better, uh, there's been a better outcome with, with me versus their previous coach. And that's what I try to do because I see holes in in what's been done before, whether it's their training, whether it's nutrition, whether it's the level of belief that they put on their competitors. Sometimes it's pressure. I put a lot of pressure on these girls to succeed. So it can be viewed as negative. Um, that's if they're weak-minded. I, I think that's definitely a problem having a weakness in your head, like, oh, pressure. It's so much pressure to be on your team. It's like, okay, would you like to go back to team fuckface and, and not be and not win your show? You know, do you want to be, do you want to have that standard to look up to and to work towards? Or do you want to go back to team fuckface? So it's, um, it's really about the, it, it's really about giving it your all, I say, I think so. So if someone wants to waste their time and they go through the motions, it's really on them. But I, I do try to help people more than get frustrated these days. Um, because otherwise, if I, if I responded negatively to people that, you know, weren't getting it done, I probably wouldn't enjoy my job because a lot of the time it's, it is about holding people accountable and being honest and saying, Hey, listen, you know, we need to step up our game here. If we want to take it seriously, you want to win your first contest. We're not acting like it right now. We need to level up. We need to push harder. We need to pose more. You need to send me videos, whatever it might be. But that's what coaching is. Coaching is about trying to get the most out of people and figuring out, you know, what the issue is and what they need to do to get motivated to move forward. But at the same time, there is a level of accountability the athlete needs to have in themselves and they can't be babysat as well. So there is a fine line and that's part of coaching. All right. So the next question here is tips for off season. Listen to your coach, eat a lot of food, train hard. Don't train with your ego, really focus on mind and muscle connection and just, uh, and, and also be social and enjoy your off season as well. So it's, it's okay to eat a few extra calories and just be honest with your coach. That's it. Be honest with your coach and have open communication and just really train like your life depends on it. The next question here is what separates pros from amateurs? Well, look, I think this is a very odd question because not everything, it's a very general statement. I know, for example, there are, I've got, I'm working with some amateur competitors currently that I know that are hundred percent more dedicated than professional athletes. So I, I think a better question would be what separates a good athlete from a great athlete. And we've probably, I've probably covered that on this episode already. And it's really about getting after it and, and beating your previous best and building momentum and getting the fuck after it, you know? So how many competitors can say that they've really crushed their off season? Not many, 
You know, how many competitors can say that they've really worked in their posing? Not many. How many competitors have said, you know, can say that they've had an honest conversation with their coach? Not many, right? So there's always things we can improve on. We can improve on our communication. We can improve on our training intensity. We can improve on our diet. We can improve on our internal dialogue and our mindset. You know, what separates a winner from a loser? People that could get shit done. So I would say that probably ties in a lot better to the question rather than, you know, segregating pros from amateurs because there are some amateurs that are much more of a bikini gangster than some snowflake pros. And there are some snowflake pros that shouldn't even have their pro card. The next question, how to stand out as a first timer? Have a good off season, put in the work, be committed to the final result and take your time to grow in the off season. Don't just compete for the sake of it because you feel like that. Oh, it's, it's, I really want to compete. I really want to step on stage. If you're joining my team and for the ladies will know that they're on my team, for example, I'll just be honest with them and go, look, we need to, we need to put more size on. I think it'll be better for you to have an off season. There are some competitors that I have on the team. I'm like, wow, their potential is amazing, but we just need to put more size on. So sometimes the, the time frame that we have to achieve a certain goal isn't logical and we just need to extend the time frame because they've got the structure, they've got the mindset. Like I've got some competitors that, you know, are probably a little bit undersized, they have the right mindset. They've got what it takes in their head mentally, their internal dialogue, everything is like all the signs of a quality competitor is there. They just need more time in the gym to grow, to put on the size, then fucking compete. So I've got some ladies that are undersized, that don't have the development, that have a better mindset than some seasoned amateurs and seasoned professionals. So it's just about putting the time in the gym. So the next question that I have here is, so the IFB basics. So um, so how scoring works from a judging point of view is I'm pretty like, uh, I haven't, I'm not, you know what, I'm not gonna lie. I'm gonna have to speculate and, and say, this is what I think because they might have changed the, the way that they score things since I've been on the panel because um, I haven't been on the panel in, I don't know, is it three years, four years now? I don't even know now. i got to, yeah, but it's been a while. So they will um, score. You get one point for being first place. You get two points for being second place. So you have seven judges on the table. They eliminate two judges from like lowest and highest. So you technically you have five judges scoring it. So if you have five first places, that means that you have five points. And generally, if you have five points, that means you won with straight firsts. And then obviously they score second, third, fourth, et cetera, like that. So it's it's really a matter of you know, the lowest score wins. And um, I believe that the, you know, for on an amateur level, they probably only score the tops, the top call outs, the top five or top six, depending on how big the class is. But if it's a national level event, I think that they'll go through all the classes and place them appropriately. It just depends on, you know, how many competitors are in a show. I, I do think... Um, I do think they might even score the top 10. So it just depends on the show. It depends on the country, etc. In Australia, I believe uh, we score the top 10 more than likely. So the last question that I'm going to answer for today is, will you be doing season A wrap-ups for the shows? And yes, I will be. Uh, I would love to do it with um, with specific people. I've done it, like back in the days to do it with Renee. If, if Renee's available, I'd love to do it with Renee because obviously she, uh, she has a very, very good eye. Um, Alternatively, if there are like seasoned competitors or pros that aren't competing, that are at the event that can give you know their opinion, that'd be great. But if not, I'll, I'll wrap it up myself because I'm, I'm I'll be attending. I'm not too sure how I'm going to go about doing the podcast while I'm sort of in transition between peak weeks, but I'll figure it out. I'll I'll, I'll work something out. It, it would be awesome if we had 
access to photos immediately because then I could do a video wrap up of the shows, but we obviously don't have that here at this point in time, but that could be subject to change. So we'll see what photos do become available, but like ideally I'd like to be doing a, a wrap up immediately so I can just move on and, and focus on the next date show. So obviously the i3 Pro League just re released the dates as well. New South Wales is first up. That wasn't originally how it was. And then I believe it is South Australia, then Victoria, um, then WA, I think in Queensland is, is the last one. So before the FitFest. So um, guys, that'll do it. It's short and sweet episode for me this time. I'm probably going to do an episode on PEDs next because I know that, you know, I've obviously done a few episodes on performance enhancement drugs and I do get a lot of questions about it. So why not just do an episode on it again and see where it takes me. It's probably not going to be stupid long, but um, I'll definitely answer some questions that you guys might have. So until next time, thank you for listening, guys. Feel free to reach out, send me a message, share it if you like it. If you like this podcast, share it. It definitely helps get my attention and gives me motivation to do more because I will do more if I know that you guys are enjoying it. Until next time, thank you for listening and peace.